It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined for the Chronicles of Nania by the resident stat nerd over at Gangrene Nation, Elite Sports New York, TurnOnTheJets.com, and of course, JetsInsider.com with a very big deal, Chris Nimbley. Mr. Michael Nania. Michael, how's it going, sir? I'm doing pretty great. I just watched Josh Allen and the Bills blow 16-point lead. Just watched Ryan Tannehill. Uh, and, you know, he's the quarterback getting the credit, but that offensive line, Derrick Henry and that Tennessee defense going into Foxborough uh, and, you know, maybe ending that Patriots dynasty and opening the window for the rest of this uh, three other teams in this division who have been hopeless for so long. So, yeah, it was a really good Saturday night. And on top of that, Michael, the games were really good. They were entertaining and interesting the entire way. Even the Titans, where it wasn't a lot of scoring, you were on the edge of your seat biting your nails the whole way, and it came down to the wire. So you can't ask for much more. That's what you want in playoff games. Although, (laughs) if the Jets are in, I suppose you would prefer that they just blow somebody out. But unfortunately, they're not in the playoffs this year, and they haven't been in the playoffs since January of 2011. We're hoping that changes soon, and if it's going to change, a big part of that is going to be because the offensive line gets fixed, because without that, Michael, we can forget about this team going anywhere anytime soon. You took an extensive look at this offensive line, and ooh, did you see some ugly stuff. Yeah, so I put together a list and uh, just basically combined a bunch of the uh, advanced offensive line metrics that are out there. And of course, you can't evaluate offensive line play uh, on numbers alone. You can't evaluate, you know, any part of football with numbers alone. It's the it's a sport where it's very hard to truly encapsulate performance with numbers. And we were talking about this before uh, we started recording. This isn't baseball. In baseball, pretty much every action that happens on the field can be tracked with numbers you know fielding is something that we're still kind of catching up with but even there we're getting a lot better at tracking that baseball you can track anything that happens with the numbers football is not like that there are so many players on the field so many different things going on at once it is very hard uh, to use numbers to really you know truly capture what's going on in any facet of the game whether it's quarterback play receiving and offensive line like we're looking at right now but still you can learn a lot from it especially when you combine a bunch of different things to kind of get an overall picture at where, you know, teams stand in, you know, a bunch of different areas. If every single offensive line stat or, you know, every metric that is aimed to capture offensive line play says that your offensive line is really good, then they're probably right. And if every offensive line metric says your team is pretty bad, then, you know, you're probably pretty bad. So uh, that's kind of the goal with what I did with this list here. I tweeted out a picture of it uh, on Twitter, but I combined a bunch of offensive line metrics and just sorted out every team's average score in each of those 
and use that to basically get a look at, you know, again, not completely accurate. You have to look at the film to get a true, you know, measurement of these teams and to rank them all from looking at the film would take extensive film study, which only a few people are cap- truly capable of. But uh, this still is a pretty interesting way uh, to sort out every offensive line in the league, but particular, particularly from a Jets perspective where, you know, obviously I'm a Jets fan, so that was the main reason of doing this to see where the Jets stack up and ultimately the results did match up with what we saw on the field uh, throughout the season so the metrics that I used uh, combined pressure rate allowed uh, average time to throw for the quarterback uh, in the passing game these are the metrics so pressure rate allowed average time to throw uh, pro football focuses pass block grade adjusted sack percentage allowed which is from football outsiders that adjust for uh, quality of opponent it throws in intentional grounding penalties and uh, makes a few other adjustments to kind of take raw sack percentage and kind of turn it towards the offensive line a little bit more because we know that sacks are something that uh, are largely a quarterback stat because most sacks are avoidable one way or another, whether it's throwing the ball away, uh, you know, trying to scramble or maybe throwing an extremely dangerous ball into traffic. Uh, most sacks are avoidable, so it's largely a stat that is uh, really as much on the quarterback as the offensive line, so adjusted sack percentage uh, does a lot of work to uh, kind of make it more accurate in terms of evaluating the offensive line independent of the quarterback. So uh, in addition to that, that is combined with uh, pro football focus tracks uh, each sack and pins it on either the offensive line or the quarterback. So a uh, sack percentage adjusted for only sacks uh, that were uh, tagged on the offensive line rather than the quarterback. So those two sack rates combined together. And also uh, in the run game, we went with yards before contact per attempt Pro football focuses run block grades and football outsiders adjusted line yards per carry, uh, which adjusts rushing yardage for offensive line responsibility. So they get uh, more uh, if a running back gets stuffed, if a run goes for negative yards, the offensive line gets more responsibility for that. If there's a 99 yard run, they get less responsibility for that because you know there are a lot of yards there that are kind of making the, the numbers look extremely good. But at the end of the day, it's just one or two blocks they throw and then 70 yards is untouched. So, Adjusted line yards per carry really adjusts for the offensive line's ability to basically avoid stuffs and create positive runs. So those are all the metrics that were used in this. Uh, in each ranking, the team with the best score got a 10, team with the worst score got a 0, and every other team was scored relative to those two points. So the Jets check in at 31st with an average score of 2.64. They're ahead of the Miami Dolphins, who had a terrible .64 score. They were last in everything. Uh, except sack rate, which, again, is mostly because of Ryan Fitzpatrick's ability to get rid of the ball because that offensive line is terrible, but he is a gunslinger who does not take a lot of sacks. But the Dolphins do finish in last place here. They were tanking. They traded Tunzel, the best left, arguably the best left tackle in the league, if not one of them. So the Dolphins come in last. Jets come in right ahead of them. But the difference between the Jets and the 30th-ranked team, which is the Bengals, who scored at 3.76, the difference between them is 1.12. That's the same as the difference between Cincinnati and the 23rd ranked team. So that's how far behind the rest of the league the Jets scored in this metric. They checked in well below average in every single category. Uh, they were 31st in both the pass game and the run game, but the run game was worse. They got a 1.9 score in the run game. They scored very poor in all three run categories. Their yards before contact was third worst. Uh, Le'Veon Bell, among qualified running backs, had the worst yards before contact rate, but the Jets do. Slightly check in above the Jaguars and Dolphins overall. 
in run block grade, they were third worst. In adjusted line yards for carry, they were second worst. So run game across the board, very bad there. And in pass protection, uh, in terms of their pressure percentage and time to throw, I combine those two things together because there, there's a relationship between if you have a lower pressure rate, generally it's because you're getting the ball out quicker. And if you're, you know, take if you have a lot of time to throw, then you're probably getting pressured more often. Those two things go hand in hand. So those two things were combined. And the Jets gave up the highest pressure rate in the league by far, but that was because Darnold did have a little bit more time to throw kind of on the upper end there, which again is mostly a testament to his mobility, just kind of going to show uh, the role quarterbacks play in these numbers and why you can't just use them to evaluate the offensive line uh, independent of the quarterback. But in this category, pressure rate and time to throw, the Jets were fifth worst here uh, in terms of pro football focused pass block grade. Uh, they were fourth worst. Uh, and in their sack rate, sack percentage, combination of adjusted sack percentage and sack percentage uh, only blamed on the offensive line. In that category, they were second worst. So really across the board here, the Jets are uh, very close to the bottom in every single category. And most teams in the league have that one category that kind of saves them, lifts them up a little bit uh, from the basement. The Jets don't have that. Every single stat says that they were terrible. And that's why they check in here, you know, better than a team that was openly trying to lose the season and traded their best offensive lineman ahead of them, but very far behind every other team in the league. So I think in, from a Jets perspective, this definitely goes to show uh, how awful this unit was this season, how uh, you can't, it's very hard to evaluate uh, Sam Darnold, Le'Veon Bell without taking into context how bad this unit was for them this year, because, you know, quite simply, you combine everything together and it goes to show you that, uh, their level of performance this season was well behind what any other team in the league, uh, besides Miami Dolphins, was getting this year. So uh, these two guys really were dealt the worst hand possible. And in Darnold's case, it's just incredible that you know after what he dealt with last year, getting a, a really bad support throughout his rookie season, it somehow got worse this season. But uh, this offensive line is terrible, and the numbers do back it up. You got to look beyond that and look at the film. But you know, just from watching it myself, I'm not an offensive line expert, far from it. But just from watching it, it seems pretty obvious uh, when you watch the film that it backs up what you see with the numbers, uh, how detrimental this unit is and how important it is for the Jets to fix it going into 2020 and beyond. There's no question that the offensive line was the biggest weak spot on this offense in 2019. It's clear if you watch the tape, it's clear if you look at any metric that means anything. But I do find it interesting, Michael, that as you said, the Miami Dolphins were worse in terms of offensive line. And yet, and this doesn't always tell the complete story, but it's at least an interesting snapshot. If you look at DBOA and if you look at points per drive, the Dolphins were 27th in both, which is not good. But the Jets were 32nd in points per drive and 31st in DVOA. So it tells you that as bad as the offensive line was, there are other mitigating factors here too. And I don't think anybody's going to argue that the Dolphins had better talent than the Jets in other spots. I hate to be the guy that brings Gase up again, but I'm going to do it. Obviously, that's got to be part of the equation. No question about it. The offensive line was the biggest problem, but there were other issues here too. Yeah, for sure. And you look at the talent the Jets have at the other positions. You have Le'Veon Bell, who's a top five running back. Uh, even the way he played this season, he looked like one. And again, we talk, We went over the numbers right here. The Jets run blocking up front is as bad as it gets. He got the fewest yards before contact among any qualified running back. But you watched him play. He was still making guys miss and looking like the player he is. 
And, you know, Le'Veon Bell is a guy who's not suited to mitigate a bad offensive line. Breakaway speed is the one thing he doesn't have. So, you know, he's not going to be able to get that one big run or have that one huge game to just kind of make up for the offensive line. Uh, he's best suited to do what he did in Pittsburgh, take advantage of a good offensive line. There's nobody in the league who would take better advantage of a good blocking front than Bell is just because of his patience. It allows him to take advantage of the blocks in front of him more frequently and more efficiently than any other back would. But with a bad offensive line, you're going to get what you got this year. So that's why it's really important uh, for the Jets to maximize him. And obviously this goes without saying. It works for any team, but especially for Bell. Uh, his performance is very reliant on that offensive line. If you build it for him, he is going to be as good as anyone. If not, you're going to go through a lot of stuff, so even though he plays uh, pretty well independently of that. But the Jets have, the bottom line is the Jets had enough talent to be better than the Dolphins, the Bengals, the Jaguars, the Panthers, but they weren't. You know, Sam Darnold, for whatever the box scores say, you know, he was in that kind of, you know, 20 to 16 range among starters this year, maybe a little bit lower, but he was not terrible this year. He was, you know, especially over the second half of the season, close to an average level. He's a guy who, you know, doesn't hold the team back. He struggled over the last couple of weeks, but overall it's very rare that Sam Darnold is going to do anything to hold you back. And, you know, the, there was a Patriots game where he obviously did, but outside of that, and even you go back to last season, there weren't a whole lot of games where the Jets, you know, maybe the Steelers game and the Bills game to finish this year, but those might be the only two games where the Jets won in spite of Sam Darnold uh, because of how well the defense played in those games. But, you know, he's a guy who, if the circumstances are going well, kind of similar to Bell, if things are going well, he'll take better advantage of it than most other players can just because of, you know, what he can do with his accuracy and touch and just ability to get on the move. If you give him time, you know, there aren't as many guys who can do as much with the play as he can. And, you know, the numbers back that up, the differences between, you know, his record when he gets takes a ton of pressure when he doesn't is starkly different more than most other quarterbacks. His numbers under pressure versus when kept clean, very stark difference there as well. So Bell and Darnold are two guys who, you know, if you keep them clean are going to see a much bigger jump in performance than most other players do. Uh, but really the overall point with Gase is that the Jets, you know, had a, had an offense that is, you know, has enough talent to be better than a lot of the teams. They were not better than this season in terms of their production. And, you know, they did take a huge hit with that three-game stretch. Darnold missed. They were absolutely horrible in those three games uh, with Luke Falk at quarterback. So that definitely hurt them. Uh, well, the three games, one started by Simeon, uh, but Falk played most of the games. But in those three games, they scored, uh, I believe, 10 points on offense in those three games. So that did really destroy the season numbers. But, you know, even if you take those three games out, they were a bottom three, bottom five offense. Uh, throughout the games that Darnold played. They had a few games where they went single digits with Darnold on the field. The opening game against the Bills, the game against the Bengals, the game against the, uh, the Patriots on Monday Night Football, obviously. Then they only scored 29 points over the last two games, although those were two good defenses, but the Bills were resting their starters. But overall, you know, you definitely have to. Uh, the Jets are good enough to not be last in the league in pretty much every offensive category. Uh, they, Like I said, they could. they're definitely talented enough to be better than the Panthers, the Jaguars, you know, the Bengals, the Dolphins, or even had a better offense. And, and the Dolphins, too, they got off to a ridiculously terrible start, but they were able to do good enough to kind of come out of the basement. So, uh, yeah, it definitely is an indictment on Gase. And, you know, there were things throughout the season, like the Bengals game, 
where they didn't run outside against a team that has been terrible defending the run outside all season. And right after that game, teams started running outside in the Bengals and having success doing it. So uh, there's stuff like that all season where he's just you know not playing to the strengths of his players, not playing to the weaknesses of the uh, of the opponent, just kind of forcing things that weren't working. And uh, so it just goes to show that you know Gase definitely had a negative impact on this offense, and he's been doing it in my he did it in Miami the first three years. So uh, yeah, definitely some blame to him. But of course, the offensive line is something that's got to be a lot better for him to, for the entire team to be better going forward. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hoopin' with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hoopin' with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. I thought you brought up an interesting point with Le'Veon Bell. I think there are some that believe that Le'Veon Bell can only be good behind an elite offensive line. I don't think that's true. I think if you give him at least a decent run-blocking offensive line, he can do some things. It's just when you give him a terrible line, as you said, he doesn't have breakaway speed, and he needs time for things to develop so that he can be patient and do his thing. It's kind of the Curtis Martin way where he would see holes, and then he would figure out which ones to navigate through. He hasn't been able to do that with the Jets because they can't hold their blocks. And I do think that Joe Thomas had a great point, too, in terms of saying that the run blocking tells you a lot more than the pass blocking in a lot of ways because if you look at just what you saw in these playoff games, in addition to what we were just talking about with Le'Veon Bell, look at Derrick Henry running behind the Tennessee offensive line. Now, I'm not taking anything away from Derrick Henry, but that offensive line was opening up holes for him and it helped him out enormously. Now, if you look at the Texans, and you and I were talking about this As great as Deshaun Watson is, he'll make you 
pull your hair out because he threw 25 passes and took seven sacks. And most of those sacks were not on the offensive line. They were on the fact that Deshaun Watson holds the ball so long because he thinks he can make something happen. And a lot of times he can, but then there are a lot of times where he ends up getting sacked. And you certainly wouldn't go and blame the offensive line for the fact that Watson was holding the ball that time trying to make a play. So I think that looking at the run blocking as opposed to the pass blocking can tell you the difference between an offensive line that's terrible and an offensive line that's good or average or whatever. You got to look at both pass and run blocking. But if you have a unit that's that good or that bad at run blocking, it'll usually tell you a lot more than just looking at stuff like stats. And that's a big part of why I like the formula you came up with too, Michael, because it was very diverse. There were a lot of controlling factors here. You weren't just looking at crude metrics like sacks. Yeah, and I definitely think, and this is something I kind of thought of a few days ago, but when you think about run blocking versus pass blocking, uh, and on a passing play, there's so many diff- so many more players involved than just the offensive line. The quarterback's involved in making that play work. You have all the receivers running routes. Every single player on the field uh, is doing something to make that passing play work. But on a running play, it's the running back with the ball, and then it's the blocking in front of him. So the blocking is you know so much more responsible for the success of a run play uh, than it is for a passing play and scheme is a huge part of it too, because you know, some teams just love to roll out constantly and that makes the pass protection numbers look really weird because the quarterback is getting a lot of time to throw, but he's also cutting the field in half because he's rolling out. So there are a lot of different factors in pass protection. You know, sometimes teams use their tight ends and running backs to help out in pass protection a lot. And while that helps them out, you know, to, prevent pressure on the quarterback to get sacks and pressures down it's you know less people out running routes and that can make it you know more difficult to get some production going through the air so I think there are a lot of different factors involved in pass protection versus run blocking you know in the run game it's pretty much entirely on and you know other people help out in the run game the wide receivers the tight ends sometimes a fullback get involved in blocking in the run in the run game but overall it's the blocking of the run game that really makes it happen uh, as many tackles as running back can break, as many yards after contact they can get. Uh, while that can happen on one given run, a running back does something completely ridiculous and just uh, goes wild breaking tackles. Overall, whether or not a run game can be successful over an entire season depends on how well they block. It, it's very rare you see a team have a good rushing attack without good blocking. But you know, in the passing game, there are a lot of ways to Uh, Not that pass protection isn't important. It is extremely important. But I think uh, in terms of to go off of what you said, to say that um, run blocking is a better way to evaluate an offensive line than pass blocking, I think that is true because there are a lot of ways that you can kind of try your best to hide the offensive line with what you do in the passing game. Like the Bengals, for example, in the numbers world. Andy Dahl in the season did not take a very low pressure rate, uh, one of the lowest pressure rates in the league. But then you look at how he got to that number. It's because he was getting the ball out way quicker than any other quarterback in the league. So that's a way to make your offensive line look better. But uh, you're taking a lot away from the offense because if you're just getting the ball out quick, you're not going to be able to attack downfield. And that limits the you know destructive potential of your offense. And it makes you really ineffective. So, But in the run game, you can't hide from what's in front of you. It's, I mean, you could try end arounds, you could try options, uh, stuff like that. You can try pitching the ball outside. You know, there are a lot of ways to be creative in the run game, but ultimately you're not going to be able to hide from the blocking. So I think that is a very good way uh, to kind of, I think it is a, I think it is true to say that, you know, the run game is a better way to evaluate 
the offensive line than pass protection is. And, and in, in terms of the Jets here, their run blocking score, even though they were 31st in both the passing game and the run game, uh, their ru- rushing numbers were far worse than their passing numbers were. And uh, and that definitely goes with what you watch this year. The Jets had some decent moments in pass protection. Kelvin Beecham had a good stretch in the middle of the season there. I think Chuma Idoga started off good, Alex Lewis. So they had some good stretches in pass protection, but there was there really was not a single game where you could say, wow, the Jets are creating a lot of holes for Bell today. That really did not happen. Uh, and that is backed up by the fact that I don't think Bell ran for over five yards per carry in a single game this season which is incredible. But uh, yeah, I think run blocking is, there are a lot of reasons that run blocking is a better way to really evaluate uh, how good the offensive line is. Both are extremely important. And, you know, if run blocking is a better way to evaluate them, it's only slightly, but uh, I think it definitely is uh, good to look at both because you can look at sacks. You can look at even pressures if you can find a way uh, to look at those as well. But uh, run blocking is is extremely important as well. And, And like you said, in the playoff game, with the Titans, especially yesterday, uh, we really saw that. As good as Derrick Henry was, it's he was getting you know at least three yards on every single run, you know five yards or more on a very good amount of his runs. And you know as much as that was him, you know just using his incredible strength, breaking tackles. Uh, it's hard to be able to do that if you don't have an offensive line that's getting pushed every single time. And you know he was never getting stuffed in this game until the end when they were obviously trying to milk clock. And that's a testament to the offensive line to avoid those negative plays. And for the Jets this year, there were just way, way, way too many negative plays in the run game. And that's all, pretty much always on the offensive line. If, you know, if the running back's getting hit as soon as he gets the ball, you know, two yards, a yard behind the line of scrimmage, there's really not a whole lot he can do on that, do about that. And that's pretty much entirely on the offensive line. So uh, yeah, for the Jets, run blocking is definitely a major, major issue. And the tight ends as well were a huge part of uh, the run blocking. The Jets this year were last in the league uh, on rushes directed outside of the tight end. They were last in the league in first down rate, yards per carry, and yards before contact per carry. So the tight ends as well, that's a major issue. But uh, really overall, the Jets offensive line is terrible. I think that is the moral of the story. And they were terrible in the running game, worse than the passing game. But that doesn't mean they weren't bad in the passing game, Michael. Yet an interesting statistic here about Sam Darnold. There's a chart that you put together of quarterbacks ranked by percentage of dropbacks in which they were sacked, hit while throwing, threw the ball away, or had the pass batted down at the line. Minimum of 300 dropbacks to be eligible for this chart. And your findings turned out to be quite relevant when it comes to Jets fans and taking a look at what Sam Darnold had to deal with in 2019. Yeah, so the big thing with this chart is that all these stats are something that uh, kind of relate to quarterback style, like we've been talking about, how quarterbacks can have a big influence on these offensive line numbers. Uh, This one is a big one where quarterbacks do have a big part of it. You know, you think of sacks. There are quarterbacks who take a lot of sacks, you know, like your Deshaun Watson, like we were talking about. And then you have guys like Ryan Fitzpatrick who refuse to get sacked and are always getting that ball out. Uh, in terms of passes batted at the line, uh, I think height, and especially if you look at this, height is an overrated factor in terms of passes being batted at the line, but it's, it's a largely circumstantial thing. There are some guys who you know do stare down receivers too much and they get a lot of passes batted down, but uh, some of it is just a result of you know our team's calling a lot of passes over the middle. Are they calling you know predictable quick passes? So uh, then you look at throw, uh, throwing the ball away. Some guys are like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady who love to throw the ball away. They throw it away way more than any other quarterback in the league. That's why they throw, you know, five interceptions a year. 
but it's not necessarily an indictment on the offensive line. It can be when a quarterback throws the ball away, but you know, there are some guys who love to throw it away. Then you have guys like Carson Wentz, uh, Mitch Trubisky, Drew Brees, guys who really didn't throw the ball away a lot this season uh, just because they're more aggressive. But at the same time, it can be because of the offensive line. Then you have uh, getting hit while thrown. That's kind of an indictment of aggressiveness. Some guys refuse to get uh, throw the ball while they're being hit. And some guys are really aggressive and they'll take a lot of shots while they're throwing the ball. So all these stats are you know partially on quarterback style. But at the same time, uh, if, your cor- if your offensive line is pass protecting well, you're probably going to have your quarterback rate really good here, not have to deal with any of these detriments because all of these things uh, are, you know, again, probably 50-50 on the offensive line and the quarterback in terms of who's responsible. So uh, overall, if your offensive line is really bad, your quarterback's probably going to have to deal with a lot of these things. And if they're really good, probably not going to have to deal with it you know, all that much. And then in the middle, there's a lot of gray area. But uh, again, we're looking at this from a Jets perspective to see what Sam Darnold was dealing with. And uh, on this chart, so in terms of percentage of dropbacks in which Sam Darnold and the rest of these quarterbacks either threw the ball away, had the pass batted down at the line of scrimmage, were hit while they were throwing, or took a sack that was blamed on the offensive line by Pro Football Focus's tracking, uh, that happened to Darnold on 15.3% of his dropbacks. That is by far the highest of any other quarterback on this list. The second highest goes to Matt Ryan, 13.9%. So that's a 1.4% difference between Darnold and the second-ranked guy, Matt Ryan. It doesn't seem like a lot, a lot but that's about the difference between Ryan uh, and fourth, uh, the fifth-highest guy on this list, uh, which would be Daniel Jones. So Darnold, again, checking in uh, with the worst offensive line performance by a wide margin on yet another list. Uh, and one of the things I did here after the fact, I did not post it. Actually, I did post this, but uh, I kind of compared the well, I compared the quarterbacks' rankings on this list to their offensive line's pass block ranking on the previous list that I discussed, and that kind of goes to show which quarterbacks are you know protecting themselves the most, uh, the most, and which ones are kind of taking more hits than they should be. And Sam Darnold, of course, checks in. You know, the Jets are thirty-first in pass blocking. He is dead last on this list so there's correlation there with uh, the Jets offensive line being bad in their own independent uh, statistics and then that then that being backed up by Sam Darnold dealing with a lot of duress but then you have guys like Kyler Murray who checks in on kind of middle of the pack in this list but his offensive line is uh, rated pretty well in pass protection so that goes to show you that you know Kyler Murray's taking too many sacks that's a big reason why he looks uh, worse on this list then you've guys like Brian Fitzpatrick, who actually had the biggest uh, disparity on this list. He had the 12th lowest percentage of effective dropbacks of all these things that we talked about, even though the Dolphins' offensive line was ranked dead last in pass protection. And that's a testament to like what I talked about earlier. Ryan Fitzpatrick is just, he's not going to get sacked. He's not going to throw the ball away. He's always going to take those shots down the field. And you know, this is where, you know, you kind of lose some of the effectiveness of these stats because that pressure is still affecting him. You know, he's these throws that he's making are, you know, on the run, you know, towards around the sideline, scrambling, you know, with pressure coming up the middle, pressure throws that are, you know, often this is why he turns the ball over so much because he's so aggressive throwing the ball no matter how much pressure there is. So the struggles of the offensive line are still impacting him as much as anyone else, you know, like they are the worst offensive line in the league, but in terms of the sacks he takes, the throwaway stuff like that, he's only middle of the pack because that's just the way Ryan Fitzpatrick plays, but the impact of the offensive line being that bad is still there. So that is kind of where you lose some gray area here, but I think the bottom line with something like this is that 
if there's correlation between the offensive line doing really good in their own stats and then the quarterback having a very low rate or a very high rate that matches uh, of dropbacks in which they were, you know, affected a lot or affected a little, you know, then you're probably onto something with, you're probably getting good evidence that the offensive line really is as good as bad or they seem. In Darnold's case, the Jets offensive line in their own uh, metrics that aim to be independent in those metrics, uh, the Jets offensive line does check in very close to the bottom, you know, only better than the Dolphins. And then here you see that he has had more dropbacks affected uh, by pressure than any other quarterback in the league. Then you go to the other end of the list. The number one guy in this list is Drew Brees. The number two guy is uh, Dak Prescott. And those two offensive lines, of course, are two of the best pass-protecting units, overall units, even if you include run blocking uh, in the league with those Saints and Cowboys offensive lines. Patrick Mahomes, uh, Patrick Mahomes is up there. Derek Carr is up there. So when you see that, Lamar Jackson as well. So when you see that correlation between an offensive line that's poor in its own metrics and then a quarterback who also takes uh, a lot of heat uh, – that matches up with the ranking of the offensive line, then you're probably, when you get that correlation, there's a good chance that yes, the offensive line is as good as they appear to be. Yes. The offensive line is as bad as they appear to be. And in Sam Darnold's case, just as the jets offensive line is uh, far behind every other team uh, besides the dolphins. In this case, he take, he was having way more of his dropbacks affected uh, than any other quarterback in the league. So really the consistent, the fact that it's so consistent with the Jets offensive line and, you know, Sam Darnold in particular, uh, having to deal and Le'Veon Bell as well with his yards before contact, the consistency with which the Jets are so bad in all of these offensive line related metrics. And then there also is, there was that correlation there, you know, with the Le'Veon Bell and Sam Darnold having to deal with so many detriments and that correlating with uh, the fact that the offensive line is bad in metrics that, you know, are independent of, you know, the quarterback, the running back, stuff like that. Uh, the fact that there's that much cor- correlation, the Jets are this bad in this many areas, and it always measures up. There isn't like something in there that kind of shows that, you know, the quarterback is making the offensive line look worse than they are. Like, for example, I mentioned Kyler Murray before. He was blamed for a crazy high amount. of. I think he's blamed for 23 sacks this year, which led the league. That's an incredible amount. Darnold was blamed for only four. So there isn't something like that where it's like, okay, the quarterback's taking too many sacks. That makes the line look worse. Uh, in Rodgers and Brady's case, they throw the ball away at a much higher rate than anyone else in the league. That can make the offensive line look worse in this metric. That's not the case for Darnold. What you're getting here in terms of you know how often he's being affected measures up with how the offensive line grades and their own independent things. You know stuff like the Pro Football Focus grade, offensive line uh, sacks blamed on the offensive line, pressure rate, things like that that are you know entirely or mostly on the offensive line measures up with you know the heat that Darnold has taken even though a lot of these things are quarterback dependent the fact that there are so many areas where the Jets are really bad and these offensive line dependent metrics then it all correlates together uh, with the fact that there isn't anything Sam Darnold did to really make the offensive line look worse goes to show you how awful this unit was and also I did put together a list that kind of shows the and I did not post this one on Twitter I potentially will get to that over the next few days but uh, Darnold was on six percent of his dropbacks, so this chart puts together old sacks blamed on the offensive line compared to overall dropbacks for each quarterback. Darnold took a sack that was blamed on the offensive line on six percent of his dropbacks. That was second high or third highest among qualified quarterbacks. Only Ryan Tanhill and Kyle Allen were higher, and most of his sacks, uh, twelve percent of the sacks that Darnold took, were blamed on the offensive line. 
Uh, that was third highest behind Tom Brady and Phillip Rivers. So again, really any way you look at it, it becomes clear that the terrible numbers the Jets have related to their offensive line are on the offensive line. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Two things I thought were interesting about this, Michael, in addition to all the stuff you just said. The first is you brought up a really good point with Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's below middle of the pack on this list because of the fact that he's such a gunslinger, so he gets rid of the ball quick. Darnold is also a bit of a gunslinger, so the fact that he was throwing the ball away so much to me indicates in part growth in terms of him recognizing that he needs to get rid of the ball, but even more so the fact that he was under pressure so much that he felt the need to get rid of the ball. I also thought this was fascinating, Michael. You had Darnold in your number one spot, but if you looked at the top 16, and of course we're going in reverse because the top is bad in this particular case, meaning the quarterback had to throw the ball away, was getting hit a bunch, so on and so forth. Six of the top 16 were playoff quarterbacks, and that is definitely not a result I expected to see. Yeah, and I think it's definitely a testament to those quarterbacks and, you know, uh, the season that they had, especially Russell Wilson. I think his offensive line in pass protection uh, was uh, very poor throughout the season, and it's uh, definitely a – when he was an MVP candidate early on, that was a big part of it. Obviously, he dropped off towards the end of the season – because he, you know, individually kind of dropped off a little bit. Seahawks lost some games, but that's a big part of why he was an MVP candidate early on and will probably finish second in the voting to Lamar Jackson. But, uh, yeah, really, I think that goes to show uh, if a quarterback is playing well independent of those things, it is a really good uh, indictment on what they did uh, independent of that offensive line. So, And also, you know, to go off your point with Ryan Fitzpatrick, the fact that he's a gunslinger, there were a couple other quarterbacks that finished pretty high uh, in terms of their differential, where they ranked, uh, how often they were getting affected, you know, hit, had, throwing the ball away, stuff like that, versus their offensive line's pass blocking rank. Uh, Matthew Stafford had a huge differential. He had the fifth lowest rate in this list, but the uh, Lions were 21st in pass blocking on the list I put together. So he, obviously, Matthew Stafford is known as a guy uh, who definitely likes to take chances down the field. So that lines up. Philip Rivers had a pretty big differential. Uh, Deshaun Watson as well even though Watson takes a lot of sacks the reason he's not that high in this list is because he doesn't throw the ball away that often either so uh, his aggressiveness definitely helped him out in this list and then you have the guys who on the other end that made themselves look a lot worse you have Daniel Jones who took a lot of sacks Uh, then I mentioned Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers those guys throw the ball away a lot so you know it definitely goes to show there's a lot of different ways uh, to interpret these numbers there's a lot of things that go into it you can there are Part of it can be blamed on the offensive line, but quarterback style uh, is a big part of what goes into it as well. And just to go back to you know the offensive line, uh, separating the sacks that off- the offensive line was blamed as responsible for over the quarterback. So Darnold was blamed for only four of the 33 sacks that he took. That's a 12% rate. The only guys with a lower rate were Phillip Rivers, Tom Brady, and Jared Goff. Those three guys each were blamed for a lower percentage of their sacks. So, yeah, really across the board, no matter how you look at it, uh, it it's really clear that the often, all these bad numbers, how often Darnold was pressured, how often he was sacked, how many times he had to throw the ball away, 
uh, it's really clear that the offensive line is the reason for those numbers because there's a lot of context that needs to be involved here and some offensive lines. And, and like we talked about Deshaun Watson earlier, he took seven sacks yesterday on 25 passes. That would lead you to believe that, you know, the offensive line was brutal. And, you know, they did have some snaps where, you know, some guys up front got beat and he took a lot of pressure and he had to make up for it. But they were not seven sacks on 25 passes bad. There were a few sacks that Watson took that really frustrate you, especially I think there was one uh, that kind of took them out of field goal range and put them into a long fourth down situation when they could have gone for it. So that's definitely just goes to show that quarterback style, just the way that they play the game can really affect these numbers that kind of reflect on the offensive line and can be uh, in a in a wrong way that really make them look worse or sometimes better uh, in the case of Ryan Fitzpatrick, a gunslinger who's not going to let the offensive line take blame for sacks, hits, things like that. Uh, quarterback style plays a huge part in these numbers, but in the case of Sam Darnold, and to go off the point you said earlier, the fact Sam Darnold threw the ball away on 6% of his dropbacks this season, that was third highest behind Brady and Rodgers. And, you know, when you watch the Jets this season, there are so many plays where, you know, Sam Darnold's rolling out and he throws a ball that gets intercepted or not always intercepted, but there are times where, you know, so many times where you just watch and you say like, why isn't he throwing that ball away? He's got to throw that ball away there. We know Sam Darnold is a gunslinger and he wants to take shots down the field and he should be throwing the ball away more. There are situations where uh, he's taking chances where he really shouldn't be. So when you watch the game, you know, he's not throwing the ball away because, you know, that's just the way he plays. That's not how he plays. He wants to take shots down the field. So the fact that he has the third highest throwaway rate in the league behind two veteran quarterbacks who love to throw the ball away, that goes to show that that's on the offensive line because as fans watch every single game, we know how Sam Darnold plays. He's very aggressive. He does not want to give up on a play, it kind of in that Deshaun Watson mold. He's not a guy who takes a lot of sacks and really dances around a whole lot, but he's... Sam Darnold is a guy who does not really want to give up on the play. He's a gunslinger, and we know that. We don't see a lot of times he throws the ball away too early. That's not something we very rarely blame him for. So the fact that he's the third highest throwaway rate in the league goes to show that that's a huge indictment on the offensive line. That's Sam Darnold throwing the ball away because he has to, because nobody's open, because he's pressured and he has to get the ball out, or he's going to take a sack that's going to kill the drive. So... I, again, it just goes with the entire theme of everything we talked about today is really that all these numbers are terrible. Sam Darnold, Le'Veon Bell uh, had to deal some terrible circumstances. Context is important when looking at these numbers. Sometimes the quarterback or even the running back can be to blame uh, for these numbers that reflect on the offensive line. But in the case of the Jets in 2019, especially with Darnold, uh, these numbers are on the uh, on the offensive line. When you throw all of that context in, in there, uh, what we know about Darnold uh, – what he did in terms of how many sacks were blamed on him. Uh, and again, just like what we know about how he plays the game, what we've seen from him uh, watching every game on film this year, uh, the correlation between the Jets, uh, bad pass protection stats, overall offensive line stats, independent of these things. Uh, the correlation is very strong that, you know, Sam Darnold, Le'Veon Bell dealt with terrible circumstances. And yes, it is because of the offensive line. And let's just hope that that offensive line gets fixed at least to around the league average level in 2020 because if it doesn't we're probably going to see a lot more of the same unfortunately michael thanks for coming on as always a blast doing the chronicles looking forward to next week 
and many weeks in the future because pretty soon we're going to be unveiling the Sam Darnold project that you've been working on. There's so much material there, and I really can't wait to delve into it with you because looking at Sam Darnold right now is one of the things that I think Jets fans should be putting a priority on because we want to see where he went right, where he went wrong, what he needs to fix going into 2020 because as we know, in addition to the offensive line, Sam Darnold's progression in 2020 is going to be a major factor in whether or not the Jets are successful. So we will start unveiling that over the next couple of weeks. Can't wait to do it. Michael, for everybody that wants to read your work, I know you write in about 600 different places. How can they find it? And what are you working on right now? Yeah, I'm really excited to do the Darnold series because uh, for everything we said about the offensive line, there are things he does need to improve. There are mistakes he made that were not the fall of the offensive line at all. There are bad games he had where you know most of his mistakes were his own fault. So there are a lot of things he can improve. I do think that he was close to a league average quarterback somewhere in that you know, three, three out of eight tier, maybe in that 16 to 20 range this season. And, you know, the numbers that we're going to go over over that series uh, kind of support that notion that he was a lot better than the stats make him look this season. And uh, when you really delve in and look, look at his film, take into context everything he had to deal with, uh, that he did a pretty decent job this season and still has a ton of potential to be excited about going forward is a guy who can be an elite quarterback if the Jets give him a, like you said, a competent offensive line, at least competent. Uh, going forward because what he dealt with last season was extremely extremely detrimental uh, more so than any other quarterback in the league basically any way you look at it so really excited to get into that and uh, yep I'll I'll be tweeting out anything I work on on all these different sites on Twitter so uh, if there's anything good I'll definitely be tweeting it out and uh, yeah very excited over the next few weeks to go over uh, this Darnold series this is something I've been uh, working on for a while and I think it it definitely gives a lot of context uh, to Sam Darnold that I don't think is being uh, that I think a lot of people are not really giving him uh, anywhere else takes just taking into account everything he ha- everything he's had to deal with just really going into each and every game and evaluating how well he played you know regardless of how many touchdowns he threw what his completion percentage was how many interceptions he threw uh, all those box score numbers just kind of throwing those out the window and just giving taking a look at how well he performed each and every game what he did well what he didn't and uh Again, just putting into context, uh, putting everything into context and really just really learning about how well he truly played this season, where he can get better, what he can improve going into 2020. Go ahead and follow Michael on Twitter. Read his work all over the web. If you haven't had a chance to give us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. It doesn't take much time. It doesn't cost any money. But it's enormously helpful, so if you could go ahead and do that, we'd be grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.